this little series we're going to do, we're going to call Make It Stick. And it's actually strategic with the book of Hebrews because Hebrews is written to people and the warning has been, don't drift, don't turn away, don't fall away, don't turn to the left or to the right, don't let the persecution, don't let all the things going on, stick with Jesus, live for that day. And so what we want to talk about is this idea of how do we make it stick as a believer? How do we continue to grow and to go on in our relationship with the Lord? And what we want to do is we want to do kind of our pathway of discipleship that we talk about all the time, which engage with God, connect with others, live on mission. That fourth week It's really a part of live on mission, but I want to call special attention to it this week because I think it's such an important thing, and that is the multiply. How do we go now and make disciples in raising up those next generations? Today we're going to talk about engage with God. If you got your Bible, it's going to be in Matthew chapter 22. Encourage you to turn there. While you're doing that, I need to ask you to do one more thing. I'm asking you to pray for Palmcroft as they go through this time of transition. But many of you know our, our missionaries, Wade and Shannon Cooperwriter. Wade and Shannon are out of our church. They're leading a ministry that's planting churches and got a seminary raising up uh, new pastors in Nicaragua. We came to you, man, probably five, six months ago and asked for you to pray because uh, there in Nicaragua, because of the coup attempt a couple years ago, they were really giving difficult time to NGOs that are like outside groups that are there. Kicked a couple hundred of them. In fact, I think he told me they're up to about 500 that kicked out of the country. And uh, praying that they would be able to kind of get everything signed off of the government. And that's all worked out. It's probably going to be an ongoing issue, but it, they're in a good place. But Wade and Shannon are, are, are having to deal with a very difficult situation within the organization. And one of the things that you know if you're in any type of leadership is sometimes you've got to make hard decisions that are best for the organization that a lot of times people don't always understand all the reasons why. Uh, and then that, that always gets sticky and it affects internal, you know, interpersonal relationships. And they're just... They've got a really dicey situation. I've been talking with them, but I told them, I'm just going to have the church pray because they're going to have to be dealing with it this week and probably in the next uh, you know, five to ten days. Be praying. God will give them wisdom. God will give them discernment. God will protect the ministry as they have to make some of these hard decisions, uh, and that would be great, okay? So, Matthew 23, let's start reading with verse 35. One of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Now, sometimes... When you look at a list, what you have got to understand is that the list is on purpose in its strategic order. 
So when we think about how do we go and make disciples, for us as a church, that pathway is engage with God, connect with others, live on mission. That's, that's how we have chosen to express it. But what I need you to understand is that engage with God is not just one of three and just because of how it comes off the tongue, it tends to be number one. No, it is number one. It's like a, a recipe. If you go, I'm not much of a baker, but if you go to make a cake, step one on pretty much any how do you bake a cake is turn the oven on to preheat it. So that way as you're mixing everything together, it's getting up to temperature so that when you slide it in. If you actually don't start with preheat the oven and you just mix the stuff and put it in the oven, it's going to be a really moist cake because it's not going to cook. Step one is step one for a reason. And when you think about why we begin with engage with God, it's there because it is actually the first thing. You will never make it stick. You will never grow to maturity in Christ unless you start with this, because at the heart, what Jesus is telling us and reminding us is that the greatest thing that God wants for us is to love him. So he's asked this question, what's the greatest commandment? And did you notice the word there in verse 35, testing him? What's so difficult in testing about this? Well, this is the middle of the Passion Week. The triumphal entry has happened. And the Pharisees are trying to find a way to, to get rid of Jesus. So they're trying to find something to create a problem with him. So why this question? Well, historically, the Jews had looked at the Old Testament law and they'd come up with 613 commandments that they were supposed to, to live by. And when you get a bunch of theologians in the room, theologues, that becomes a great debate. What is the greatest? So you got 613, what, what's like number one? And you could imagine that in that there's a lot of disagreement with what's going on. So they're trying to create this thing where they could argue with Jesus. What's the greatest commandment? And what he says is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, in my Bible, and I read out of the New American Standard, it's actually all of that is capitalized. And the reason it's capitalized is because he's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God. Now, you might scratch your head and go, well, wait, if that's the most important, why isn't it a part of the Ten Commandments? Aren't like the, the, isn't that like the top ten list? Why would he quote one that's not a part of that? Well, maybe it is. Have you looked at the Ten Commandments recently? In Exodus chapter 20, where we're given, it says this, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above, on earth beneath, in the water under the earth. But he's a God who's showing loving kindness to thousands and to those who, what? Love me. Wait, it's there. 
Yeah, at the heart of what God wants for us is that we would love him. That's the thing that is most important. It's not about keeping all of the the laws. It's not about checking all the boxes. It's about loving him. What's the first and foremost? That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's number one. So then we have to ask, so what does that look like for us? How do we end up loving God? The, the way that we have chosen as a church to express that is this idea that we are going to intentionally engage with him. That's what it means to love him. Why? Because love is always about a relationship. It's always about two people. It, it's about getting to know and, and to doing things out of that relationship that builds with love. And so when we think about what it means to engage with God, what you've got to understand is the heart. And, and this, is, this is such an important point. This is why this is number one. At the heart of God's dealings with man is that this is about personal relationship. Christianity is not about a religion. Now, you, this may come as a news flash to you because it's, it's something that's really gotten twisted. A lot of people think, well, I'm a Christian because I was born in America, which is a Christian country. Or I'm a Christian because my parents identified as Christian. Or I'm a Christian because as a baby I was baptized into a Christian church. Or I'm a Christian because I choose to practice the disciplines of a Christian. I read God's word. I go to church. I try to pray. That's what being a Christian is all about. But no, 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 no. It's about loving the Lord your God. It's about relationship. Here's what Jesus said to the to the Pharisees. He says, you search the scriptures, which they did. They were the theologues. They liked to debate what's the greatest commandment of the 613 because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these, though, that testify about me and you are unwilling to come to me, relationship, so that you may have life. It's always been about relationship. In fact, if you look over, uh, we're in chapter 22 and chapter 23. It's just on the other page of mine. In case it's different, Matthew 23, 15, he, he's just taken, I mean, he's taken these, these folk apart. And he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. So you're going everywhere to make other people convert to Judaism. And oh, by the way, when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. That's pretty strong words. But you see, they had made this not about relationship. They had made this about ticking the boxes. It is about the law. It was about religion. I don't think he could have put it any clearer than he did in the Sermon on the Mount. Back in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And this is what he says there. Many will say to me on that day. Now that day is looking ahead at the day of judgment. Lord, 
Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Now, folk, if somebody was here today and in the name of Jesus was casting demons out, was healing the sick right in front of our eyes, we would probably think he's a Christian. Look at what Jesus says. Then I will declare to them, I never, what's the next words? Knew you. It's about relationship. It's always been about relationship. So he says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus. It's always been about that. It's about knowing him, having a relationship with him. In fact, you you even go back all the way to creation. It was about God having relationship with man, but then sin broke that. So when Jesus' really good friend, in fact, his best friend here on the earth, wrote his book about his life, in the introduction, in John chapter 1, he says this, he came into his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. They rejected him. But as many as received him, To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those that believe in his name. Relationship. Remember what Jesus said in John 10, that great passage on I'm the good shepherd. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me. Relationship. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is why Jesus came. You've got to understand this. Jesus came to restore that personal relationship because it was what was lost in the garden. So you go back to Genesis 1, and God's creating everything. And if you remember, God speaks it into being. Let there be. Let there be light. Let there be division. Let there be lights in the heaven. He, he, he speaks it all in until you get to day 6. He does not speak man. What he does is he takes the dust of the ground and he with his hands forms it. It's different. You know what Adam means. Adam means man of the earth, man of red clay. He forms man. And he doesn't speak life into him. He breathes life into him. Personal relationship. Man's first moment of existence The first thing that he sees is he's looking into the eyes of his God who is breathing into him life. It's about relationship. This is different. He makes man in his image to be his image bearer. Then he takes a rib from his side and go fashions Eve. The best thing God ever created. And then God walks her as it is as a father, a bride to her husband. And then he walks with them in the cool of the evening. He talks with them. It is all about relationship. What did God want most? They would love him. That just as he loved them and made them unique, that they would love him. And yet, the enemy shows up at this tree. The one that God said, don't eat of that one. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they chose not to love God. They chose to love themselves. You know why? Because the tree looked good. It's like it would be satisfying. 
the tree was desirous because it would make them wise, to make them to be like God. They chose to love themselves more than they loved God. And they sinned. And now that sin separates them from God. This relationship that God desired that they would know one another, that they would walk in this loving relationship, that they would love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind has been broken. And guess what? God kicks them out of the garden. Now the question is, why did God do that? Is it because God was a big meanie? Oh, you didn't do it my way, so get out. No, he does it out of love because now if they eat of the tree of life, they will live forever and there is no chance of redemption. And so God kicks them out of the garden in love with the idea that now he is going to send Jesus God in human form to be one of us that we can see God. Remember Hebrews 1? That he is the exact representation of his nature, the radiance of his glory, so that we could see him. John says it like this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory of the only begotten of the Father. We could see him, we could know him. But even more importantly, as we sang in that song this morning, that Jesus now becomes the second Adam who loves God more than he loves himself. And in complete and total obedience, Jesus goes to the cross as the perfect sacrifice. He takes your sin, my sin upon himself. He pays the penalty for that sin. He becomes our sacrifice. He provides forgiveness. He then conquers death. Why? So that we can now have our relationship with God restored. We could know him. We could walk with him. We could love him. And the beauty of what happens in that moment when you and I come to a relationship with Jesus, we put our faith, our trust in Jesus, is that we are born into this relationship which is eternal. It begins in that moment, but it lasts forever. That's the heart of the Christian worldview. That it doesn't just end in this life. Is that we are going, in fact, when death happens, what happens to us? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you so that... If I go, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you will be also. It's always been about relationship. And if you've not come to that point of putting your faith, your trust in Jesus, it'll never stick. Trying to live Christianity without knowing Jesus is the hardest thing in the world. Because it was never meant to be a religion. It was never about us earning. Because we couldn't earn, right? God's holy. God's perfect. He can't fellowship. Christianity is about relationship. And if you've not come to put your faith, your trust in Jesus, can I share with you today, you can do it right where you are. The Bible says Jesus stands at the door and knocks. It's about relationship. If anybody will open the door, he'll come in and have dinner. Why? Because it's about relationship. If you've not done that, that's where it begins. 
But it is where it begins. It's not where it ends. So for all of us who come to faith in Jesus, now we have entered into an eternal relationship. So how do we grow in that? Well, how do we grow in our love? How do we engage with him? Well, first of all, it starts through time in the Bible. This is, these 66 books are God's love letter to us. Everything he wants us to know is here about how to do life. I mean, he's the one that made us, right? He's the one that made our heart, our soul, and the way that we work. He knows the things that brings those, those things that we need, that, that need for significance, that need for purpose, that need for security. He knows. And so he's given us his word. It's, it's all here. And that's why... We, that's why we read it. That's why we study it. The problem is, is that, you know, we, we live in a day and an age where we have more access to the Word of God than any other generation has ever had on the face of the earth. Do you know that today? I mean, to be honest with you, most of us got 18 versions of it on this thing that we carry around in our pocket. It's there. I remember as a kid, my dad would be gone uh, overseas, and often what he was doing was he was smuggling Bibles in places that didn't have the Word of God. Now, the fortunate thing is today, there are very few places like that in the world. In fact, they not only have it in every language, in every major people group, but they're just down to a few unique, very specialized languages, and they're still, they're getting those out. It's there. We have it. The problem is we're biblically illiterate as a people because we want to spend time in God's Word. And here's the problem. So when we entered into that relationship with Jesus, His Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And what the Holy Spirit uses in our life is His Word. He takes the word of God and he uses it to teach us and to give us wisdom. When we come to those points where we're about ready to step in it, right? He flashes a verse up in front of our mind. I can't tell you how many times I was about ready to say something that I thought was really funny. And all of a sudden I hear, let no cutting communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to ministering grace to the hearers. And I went, oh, that's probably not even something I should be thinking, let alone saying, Right? Or you may not know this, but I tend to be a fairly uh, uh, intense, um, can react strongly to things. And I like people to hear what I think. And sometimes in those conversations, you know, it begins to well up. And I'm about ready to let everybody know what truth is. And I hear the Holy Spirit whisper from James, let everybody be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. It's exactly what I need in that moment. That's why Paul says in 2 Timothy that all Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. Why? So that we can learn. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So the man of God will be adequate, equipped for every good work. We need the word in our life. 
And so how do we do that? Well, we engage with God through spending time in his word. The easiest place and the thing that everybody here can do is just simply to read it. Because here's the thing, on that little Bible app, if you, especially if you've got the U version, which is for every iPhone and Android or whatever, just download it. it. Even if you don't read really good, it'll read it to you. But do you know how many believers who have put their faith and trust in Jesus have never even read just the, the New Testament? I mean, I get, you know, Old Testament sometimes, man, you get stuck in Leviticus and I got to be honest, I'm not sure why God wanted us to know some of that stuff, right? I, so I get that, but what about the New Testament? You know, the cool thing about the U version is you, you can just set it up. Hey, it's 1st of August, what have I got? Four months, five months here before the end of the year. By the end of the year, what if I read the whole New Testament? It's, it's got a plan for that. You know how much time it would take? Probably take you about five to seven minutes a day. Just read God's word. Read God's word. What, what David tells us is your, your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. And, and then once we read it, one of the things you'll want to do is you'll start to want to study it. Like, why is it there? And You know, he says that this is the greatest commandment. Why is this the greatest commandment? And we go back to Deuteronomy. We begin to play it out and say, okay, this is what God desired this is what we lost. This is what he's seeking to destroy. And, and to, then to, re, to also restore is that we would just love him most. And then to meditate upon it. One of the greatest things you can do as you read the word is, hey, pull out one thing. What's one thing I can take away? Think on that. God, what do you want to do? You, 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 can, you know, I love it that you come. You know, we study God's word together, and that's great. And you can learn from others. But you also need to be able to feed yourself. So it starts with his word. But it also then leads into prayer. And prayer is this, oh, how many Christians get their whole internal stuff tied up with prayer? Can I just quickly tell you this, prayer is nothing more than just simply talking to God. You know, some people have this idea, you got to say all these right words, and there's all this form, and you know, you got to use the big words, and or, or the fact that, you know, I tend to be a little scattered, and I don't want to do that, so I want to go with just this right. Do you not think that God doesn't know the scattered thoughts of your mind already? Just talk to God. He'll figure it out. He just, it's just about relationship. Do your friends not have to deal with some of your scattered thoughts? And what do they do? They smile. <laughs> They're just glad you're talking with them. It's just simply talking to God. And that's what he's called us to do. He wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And this is the thing. He wants us to do life with him. And that's what prayer is about. It's just that I know that God is in me. He is with me. He wants to be my friend. He wants me to love him. And so I'm, I'm just going to talk to him about my day. I'm going to talk to him when I need that point of wisdom. I'm, I'm going to just talk to him about this concern, this frustration. Prayer is just a way of doing life. But by the way, it's a way of doing life in faith. Because typically if you've got a friend sitting there, you can see them. You can't see the Holy Spirit. 
You can't see Jesus. We walk by faith that he said, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But we've been studying the stories of faith. Maybe for some of you, that's just where it needs to start. What I have found in life, because life gets so busy, is that we need to find some triggers. And by triggers, just reminders. Because I just get so busy. So one of the first triggers I was taught as a little guy is just pray at a meal. Now, theologically, I don't think you're necessarily breaking any demonic stronghold on your food. I think we probably don't have to worry about that. I think what it is is just a trigger to remind me through the day that God provides, that he's with me. I'm just going to talk to him. I think a great trigger is just learning to pray. First thing, you wake up in the morning, man, you got another day to go live for Jesus. Yeah, I want to live for you. I'm a night person. I love to pray at night. I'm going to confess to you, there's many a time I've been deep in prayer. And when I wake up at 3 o'clock, I'm still deep in prayer. And I know some people are just mortified by that. Do you think God was angry at me because I fell asleep? No. He knows. He loves. He just wants me to love him with all my heart. That's all he wants from you. Just simply talk with Jesus. You know, prayer is such a big thing, and I did want to mention this because um, one of the things that I'm so looking forward to and praying that God will provide that next meeting place is that as a preacher, for me, I think the best time we got to talk to the Lord is when he's spoken to our hearts, right? So you study his word, or we come together and we talk about it. And the fact that we don't really have a space, like this morning, every room in here is being used right now. And, and so after the service... God spoke into your heart. Where do you just go talk to him? Or maybe where do you get somebody that you can pray with? And we used to have a thing over here, but then we put more chairs out because of COVID and all of that. And so we've actually moved it up here. And so it's not completely quiet like the next place will be. But I just want you to know, man, after the service, God speaking your heart. You just want to go pray. You can go pray there. You want someone to pray with. There'll be people to pray there with you. But prayer is just simply talking to God. It's part of that conversation. And here's the thing. Jesus is with you all day, every day. You never will be in a place when Jesus, if you know Jesus is your Savior, it is an eternal relationship. You will never have a moment that he's not there. So how we engage with him is we read his word, we talk to him in prayer. And in that, your relationship, your love relationship will grow. And on the converse side, you need to understand, it won't grow without it. Some of you came to faith in Jesus years ago. You have struggled. You continually struggle. And you think, why? Well, probably because you're not spending time in his word. I've been very blessed to have a wonderful, wonderful wife. And I am so much better when she and I do life together. But we live a pretty hectic life. Uh, at least that's what people on the outside tell us. It's just for me, it's just life, right? But we go and we do a lot of things. But I'm way better with her. I will tell you the last two weeks for me has been glorious. Because for the most part, it's just been me and Tammy. 
and it's good. Now, of course, we got home. She's actually over in California today at a wedding. Then she comes home Monday night. Then she's taking her folks on a family reunion trip on Wednesday, and it's like, ugh, right? Because I'm so much better with her. Folk, in your relationship with Jesus, you're so much better with him. The cool thing is, he doesn't go over to weddings and leave you alone. <laughs> he doesn't take people away on a trip and leave you by yourself. He's always with you. Lean into Jesus. Study his word. Read his word. Talk to him. It, it's not perfect. He loves you. What he desires is that we would love him most.